Heavenly Father, we are indeed very thankful that you are not limited by restrictions and walls, and you've proven that as you entered in through locked doors, and that these things that are dividing us, yet your spirit is with each one of us. No matter how alone we feel, we know we are not alone because you've promised never to leave us alone or forsake us. You'll be with us even to the ends of the world. So this morning we ask that your spirit be with each and every one, wherever they are. And Lord, remind us that you loved us so much that you sent your son to, to enter into this time and space and to make a way for us to find our way back to you through his blood and through his sacrifice. And we can never thank you enough for that. This morning, as we would open your word, we pray that it would be inspired, that it would speak to our hearts, that it would also go through locked doors and through the confusion and of our own minds and the tiredness and the distractedness that you could penetrate and that you, your spirit could bear fruit as only you can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. to read a, from a few different passages this morning, and perhaps inspired by last night, uh, we can start with the final book of the Old Testament, uh, Malachi chapter 3, or chapter, yes, 3, read a few verses there, and we'll continue into the New Testament. So Malachi chapter 3, beginning from verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who shall abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in former years." This uh, passage is um, one that was sent, sung uh, in the Messiah, and it is uh, the Messiah is a collection of prophetic verses uh, in the Old Testament, a libretto it's called, where they've picked a number of verses pointing to the coming of the Messiah. It was actually sung uh, at Easter time in April, not at Christmas, even though. It's now traditionally sung at Christmas time, 
but it's really pointing to the full work of Jesus Christ. But here it's telling us that when Jesus comes, the Messiah, the, the messenger who they seek, that he will come as a refiner and purifier of silver. And uh, I've been thinking about the times that we are going through right now. They are difficult. Um, and they're exposing things. I know they're exposing things in my life. Um, just like when you heat uh, metal, the things come to the surface that were hidden inside. And under heat, they kind of bubble up and need to be skimmed off so that that silver, that gold can be acceptable and be something that can be a glory rather than something that's a, a shame. The things that you know we have now, we have more time. Uh, we don't have as much accountability. Uh, there's not as much structure in our lives. Even the privilege of coming here into this building is highly limited. Um, taken away for almost every one of us. And in this time, we have a choice of whether we are going to allow this to truly, are we going to skim away that dross that comes to the surface when, when things, when there's no, um, when we're not accountable to people, do we feel that accountability to God? And I, I speak to, to myself first of all. And as a church, now that these doors are closed, how are we going to go forward? Are we going to uh, feel that because these physical doors are shut, therefore church is not in session? And therefore, we just have the rest of our lives to focus on what has happened in times past. So in Jeremiah, um, it, it, Jeremiah was warning the people. This is before God took away the temple. And he, they, were, they were saying the temple, the temple. They were kind of relying on the temple as kind of a symbol of their relationship with God, even though their lives weren't right. And so Jeremiah was warning them that don't put your trust in saying the temple, the temple, and um, not change your ways. Yeah, this is now in Jeremiah chapter seven. Trust ye not in lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple are these, for if you Thoroughly amend your ways and your doings if you, you know, do proper judgment. Then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land I gave you. But the warning in Jeremiah was that they didn't change their ways. They trusted in their, this external symbol, this building. And therefore God took the building away. That beautiful building in Solomon's temple was destroyed, burned down, um, and uh, they were taken away and brought into captivity. 
And in that land of captivity, they were tested and tried, and many were scattered. Uh, some we have lost complete track of. Now they call the diaspora, uh, the ten tribes. We have no idea where they went, and of the Jewish, but the those that were fervent, those who were committed, of the people of uh, of God and Judah. They decided that, okay, we can no longer come to the physical temple, even though the, the Bible commanded three times a year that they would come. Um, every male needed to be there. Now, there was no temple to come to, so what were they going to do? But that's when they decided, well, the Word of God is still with us, even though they didn't have, and in fact, to this day, we don't know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. It was at that point in time where it's kind of disappeared from the historical record. So they didn't have that. They didn't have the building. They didn't have the Holy of Holies. They didn't have the altar. But they had the Word of God. And so what they did is they started to have synagogues. And they gathered together if they could... I, forget the quorum, I think is 10 Jewish men or something like that, that uh, they could gather together and they would study the Word of God together. And we see a big difference between um, the Jewish people after that refining period. Before that, they were always being tempted of following uh, the idols of the people around them. They felt like they were there was this FOMO, this fear of missing out and they, they thought there was something there that they, they wished they could have. And that was the reason why they were judged and they were taken away. And after that, we see the Jewish people being very clear that they're the, the, the Shema, the Deuteronomy 4, that there is no God, you know, other God. Thou shalt have no other God before a hero Israel. And... Um, Although even then, we know in the time of Jesus, even though they were clearly, you know, not worshiping idols yet, yet they were still compromising other ways, right? We see how there was those that were siding with the political powers of the day. The Sadducees were compromising for the sake of power and money. The Pharisees, they were being uncompromising, true to the Bible, the words, but they were still relying on themselves and not on a living relationship with God. So the question is, now that this building is taken away and God is testing us, what are we going to do? The easy thing to do is to kind of just drift to kind of, okay, uh, there's more time free in my week. And I can just fill that up with, there's always lots of things to fill it up with. But if we do that, we will be scattered, like the, the Jewish people that were scattered, the diaspora. And we may lose, we may lose our connection with God, we may lose our heritage. We may lose our connection with each other. And that's the natural thing that will happen if we simply, um, if, if, if all that there was to our relationship with God and our commitment to this body was to be in this place, 
once or twice a week, and this place is taken away, then we will be uprooted, and we may well wither if this is all there is to our identity. But that never should have been, because we know the Bible, when it talks about the church, even though in the dictionary that's kind of the first definition of church is the building, that's not the Bible's definition definition of church. Um, the definition in the Bible is the, the calling out, the ecclesia, ecclesia, where we are being called out of the world to be a separate people that are purchased by Jesus' blood and that we are redeemed for a purpose to be Jesus' hands and feet, his mouth here in this world. And the fact that we don't have access to this building doesn't change the fact that you and I have been called out, that you and I have been given a purpose. And just because we can't do it in this building doesn't mean that we cannot be Jesus' hands and feet. That doesn't mean that we can't seek to build up and edify one another, that we can't be what the Bible talks about in multiple places as the living temple. In fact, in Jesus' time, in the early church time, there were no buildings per se. The building, when it was talking about edifying building, it was talking about building the body of Christ. Yes, initially they met in uh, Solomon's porch in the temple of God, but soon there was persecution and they were forced to um, to scatter, to meet in homes, to meet in secret. Um, and that's this they did. And the truth is that nowadays, and I was just reading this morning, that actually Christianity is the most persecuted um, Christ, uh, uh, group, uh, religious group on the planet that um, the, the, the numbers are, 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 are rather high. In fact, a 2019 study of the matter showed that we are, it's near genocidal proportions. So this isn't just a historical thing. We can look back at what happened to the Jews or what happened to the early church in the time of Roman persecution, what happened to our forefathers in Yugoslavia under persecution there. This is something that's actually happening right now around the planet. And even though what we're experiencing here is not really a targeted at us as a faith group, uh, I think it's still an opportunity for us to examine our hearts and say, are we ready? Will we look back and we idolize or we, we, we reverence, I should say, not idolize. We, we reverence those who've gone before us, who've been faithful under fire, who have been true to their convictions, even though they have spent some of them decades in prison for their faith and suffered and their families have suffered. You know, the, the wives that raised children alone and had no one to work in the field and, um, and yet the body supported each other th through that. Th those were people we look up to. But 
I think it's important for us to recognize that uh, in Hebrews, it says that we should remember those that are, are, are being persecuted uh, for the faith as, as being bound. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. I'm reading from Hebrews 13, 2. And them that suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Perhaps we as a people here in North America, we've grown comfortable. And our Christianity really hasn't asked a lot of us. And so our depth of roots are also shallower as a result. Our depth of commitment has not been tested. Yet there are people around the world who are being tested. Um, in fact, they're probably fleeing here uh, from the Middle East, from Iraq, where after the war, um, the, the, uh, on Iraq, there was a, a Christian population about four and a quarter percent, and now it's down to maybe one and a half percent. Uh, because all these warring factions and those who are Christians were not arming themselves and fighting, they were the ones who were being pushed out. They're the ones who were pushed out historical. The, the people in Syria are the ones who still speak the Aramaic, the, the language that Jesus spoke. And you know, they have continuous places of worship from, from the first century, and those are being destroyed, and those people are being pushed out. Uh, and so we see that there is a, definitely a concerted effort to, and we should identify with these people because one day soon it may be us. We need to keep them in our prayers. We need to maybe even write letters of encouragement to put ourselves in their shoes, to send material support because the other thing about our stories that we tell and that we remember about those who go through persecution, sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if there was persecution, the church would grow again, and only those who were truly committed were a part of the church. We're not, we're not being realistic. We're not seeing the whole story of what it means to go through these times. When you actually look into the history, and as you know, I've looked into not only the history of Roman times, and then even the, recently the, the scholarly work on, on our own Nazarene brethren, um, you see that it was not all victorious, faithful brothers and sisters. There were plenty of people who did cave under pressure. And uh, in fact, that's the, where we get the word traitor from because in, Ro in the Roman persecution, um, you had to hand in over the scriptures. They were trying to get rid of all copies of the Bible, which were very difficult to reproduce in those days by hand. And those who were willing to give over the scripture in order to save themselves and their own lives I mean, that's what uh, traidor is to one who gives in, in Latin. Uh, they were became called traitors in the church. And that caused, you know, lots of division of, you know, what do we do with those who have fallen, who have trade handed over 
We had those same divisions even in our own tradition. You know, for those who caved in and took the gun versus those who spent those decades in prison. Um, there, it's very difficult because these pressures are real and we have not faced them. And I guess what I'm asking us is to start to prepare ourselves and start by being remembering those who are, have, and are going through these things as bound with them, preparing ourselves. I remember being very inspired by uh, a story, <clears throat> uh, a, a true account of in South Korea, the, the Japanese were coming and they were going to stamp out Christianity uh, and they were, you would only worship the emperor of Japan. And they were had the same kind of tests that the Christians had in the early um, church where you know you had a sacrifice to the Roman Emperor to prove that you were loyal um, we had that with King Peter in Yugoslavia you had to swear your oath of, of fidelity to them and here you know they had to make a sacrifice to the Japanese Emperor and they felt that that was not um, that was not being true that was idolatry it was not they were not going to bow down and worship anyone but the Lord Jesus Christ. And this woman knew that was coming. And so she, she started actually preparing herself. She started preparing by even fasting because she knew she was going to be in prison. She knew that she was going to suffer those hardships. And she prepared herself for that. And then when she was imprisoned, the, the incredible stories of how murderers and, and the worst people were converted in prison, even the guards. The power that we have is greater. It's not the same kind as the political power that's being fought for. In fact, I, I hear this kind of, uh, this, this dismissive disrespect to Christianity because we do not grasp for political power and we do not have the impact to change um, structures and, and uh, organized societies. But I, want, I, I ask you to look at history. Those who have grasped for power, Herod, who at the time of Jesus, he was in this massive palace. He was a builder, and he knew how to build. And he had this massive palace overlooking Galilee, and there was this little tiny, um, uh, no uh, backwards town, backwater town of, of Nazareth. Nobody knew about it. Anybody who came from there was a joke. Yeah, but that, 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 temp, that, that palace is long gone those massive pieces of stones cracked and weathered away. The name of Herod all but forgotten except in relationship to the fact that he wanted to kill the babies to try to prevent the power of one who did not grasp for power. You look in John 6 and, and they wanted to take Jesus by force after he fed the 5,000. We're going to make you king. You can feed us. You can do these things. And he went into the mountains to pray. He did not grasp for that power. Yet he 
is the one who commands the allegiance of, of, of two and a half billion people on this planet today. And he's the one whose name is, is recognized and Herod's is not. And so when we grasp for political power, we grasp in self-interest and in that, that power is fleeting and self-destructive. We know that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But the power that we seek is not an absolute power and that is not a power derived from me and the things that I can control. And it, it is a power derived from God as I surrender control to him, as I choose to align my will with him, as I choose. Uh, I saw a, a quote from Augustine this morning I thought was very telling. Uh, it says, before I, the, the, the bonds that enslaved me before I was converted were the bonds of my own pride. That's what he said in a paraphrase. And it is as I surrender that pride and I align my will with his, there a power flows through us that is unstoppable. Though the might of Rome in an organized, systematic way try to stamp, uh, burn all the Bibles, try to cause every single Christian to, 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 to shut up the churches while people are worshiping and light them on fire, to, to, to wipe out everyone systematically who believed yet Rome is gone. The Roman emperor himself became converted and uh, Christianity arose from those ashes even stronger. The Chinese who, again, in a concerted way and to this day are, are, are tearing down every cross of every church building. Any time there's a group of larger than 100 people, they, they crack down and imprison leaders and, and, and prevent this from growing yet, you know, though they declared victory in the 60s that today, you know, as of today, there are no more Christians, yet Christianity has grown to, there are more Christians in China than there are people living in the United States, in North America, because there's hundreds of millions. But let's learn a lesson from that too. But it's an organic thing. It's, they don't have buildings they don't have political power but they have love and they have devotion they and they serve the lord fearlessly without respect to the cost they're willing to take up the cross and follow him they written you know you north americans you have an experience maybe a conversion experience and then you build an altar to that experience Right? Whereas we, we, we want to take fire from the altar and, and we want to take and share. And so they, they're fearless in sharing despite the cost because it matters. It's more important to them. So I think we're being tested now. Is this about a form, a shape, a way of doing Christianity that is now being prevented or is there, is there something deeper, more alive, more powerful at work in our hearts? The Lord Jesus Christ, who has come and died for us, not that we would be comfortable, but that we would also take up the cross, that we would also love others.
And though we have this time, are we going to use this time to see the needs? We're not prevented. We can be creative. We can do things and we'll be forced to do things differently than we have in the past because this is a different set of circumstances. But that doesn't stop us from allowing the love of God to motivate us to go and, and see the needs, to, to visit and meet, maybe electronic, maybe on the porch, but where are the needs? You know, there are those who are, you know, making sure that no one is forgotten, that, that, that those who cannot cook for themselves have meals, or those who are, are, are you know, lost that, or lonely, that they are being spoken to. And our neighbors, those around us, are in the, the most dire straits they've ever been. They are hearing so many conspiracy theories, so many versions of truth, and they're looking. What is this going on? Life is not stable. Life is not continuing. Is, is this going somewhere? Is there a hope? Is there an anchor? Is there something that can, can actually carry us through the chaos of, of, of the lack of control that our lives have become? And now their hearts are open. If we have the courage to share the hope that is within us with godly fear, that we have something, we have that anchor, we have what this world is looking for. So this very crisis that could exterminate us, could alienate us, could cause us all to just retreat into our own little corners and wither and die on our own, this very same crisis could be used for us to share the thing that we have that this world needs and to grow and to, but we would need to connect in other ways and, and to connect during the week and through me other means to, but to, to, to meet the needs. We need to take the salt out of the salt shaker and, and this salt shaker is being taken away from us and, and Satan has a purpose to, to stop us by taking away the salt shaker. But God has a purpose to get us in contact with the world by taking away the salt shaker. That our salt can become in contact and it, it will sting because there are things about the uncompromised word of God that are not palatable, that are counter to the culture as we speak truth about sin and gender and, um, and right and wrong, these are things that, that people may not want to hear, but at this point, they are desperate enough to hear them if we are courageous enough to share them. If we're willing, as we read here in Hebrews, in the same chapter, Hebrews 13, <clears throat> Um, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach for here we have no continuing city but we seek one to come this is Hebrews 13 12 to 14 for those who want to 
to rem remember that and look that up. Jesus had to be taken outside the city. He was rejected. And, and uh, as, as was prophesied in Isaiah, and as came to pass, and he was beaten, and he was uh, suffered outside the gate on that hill in shame and nakedness on a cruel instrument of, of public humiliation so that he might uh, sanctify you and I. He might make us clean and acceptable unto God. And he says, now he invites us, let us go forth unto him. But we will have to leave behind cultural exceptions. We'll have to leave behind cultural appropriateness. We'll have to leave behind political correctness. We'll have to leave behind people liking us and being comfortable to go without the camp because guess what? We, the church, are being called out. Wherefore, come out from among them, 2 Corinthians 6, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and be ye holy, so that we can bear his reproach. If we do not suffer that reproach, maybe there's something wrong. If we don't bear the reproach of Jesus Christ, it may be that we're not bearing the witness of Jesus Christ. We are not identifying with Christ. We're not being like Christ because Christ was rejected. It's hard to be rejected. It hurts to be rejected. Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that. He knows that at my own hands. Should I not? Therefore, bear his reproach and be willing to be rejected that I might also offer a hurting world what they need to hear at the time they most need to hear it to be saved. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. You know, where's, our, where's our treasure? Where am I building my empire? Is it the city here? Am I trying to establish a comfortable place where I'm in control here? Or am I willing to give that up in order to seek one that is to come that's not built by hands, that will endure? But to do good and to communicate, forget not. But to do good and to communicate, Forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. To do good and to communicate, forget not. It's going to take an intentional act of the will to to pick up that phone, to get out of our house, which are very comfortable. And now we have an excuse. Well, I'm, you know, save lives, stay home. All right? You're doing good by doing nothing. But is that what Jesus has called us to? I'm not saying go out and break laws. But I am saying get out of our comfort zone, even though it's being justified, to do good 
and to communicate. First with the household of faith, where we need to, to stir up the fire, the embers, to get them into flame again, and also with the hurting world. This is what we're called to. And this love is something that cannot be outlawed, that cannot be taken away, that no one can prevent you from actually being inspired by the love of Jesus Christ to love your fellow brother and sister and to love your neighbor as yourself. No one can stop that except our own complacency. We are being tested. We are being refined as a refiner fire. Will that dross be skimmed off my life? That the image of Jesus can be seen on that pure metal? That choice I need to answer for. Church is not available to all at uh, once. Uh, and I was thinking on what, G, what Peter said concerning who the church really is. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse um, what, two, let's say 2 to on, to 7 or so, 8, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed or indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. So those of you that can see the church through your Microsoft Teams app uh, and in the ch church building, behind Brother Edmund are dead stones. They're not living stones. And Christ in the Gospels on two or three occasions emphasized the fact that we will no longer worship God in a building made with hands, although it's a physical place, but those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, it's not going to be in Jerusalem. It's not going to be in Samaria. Uh, it's not going to be in you know Toronto that we have to gather or in Israel as some are purporting now. But we, get, we worship God in spirit and in truth. And as Brother Edmund mentioned, there was no more altar or uh, Holy of Holies in Babylon when they were taken captivity. In the tabernacle, the only person that could enter the Holy of Holies was the high priest. The only people that could enter really into uh, the temple was the high priest. And there was a place where Gentiles had to only gather. They couldn't go before, after that. We have now a living stone, a building made without hands, and we are the lively stones. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was mainly the, the priests that were doing all the service. They were servicing the, as you read in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, they were servicing the temple. They were ministering in the temple. 
uh, and basically the people were sort of spectators outside. Um, we are not spectators. We are not witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12 that are sort of um, just watching all the saints of old um, go before us and influencing us and encouraging us and motivating, uh, motivating us. We are surrounded by them means we are part of them. We are in the same race. We are in the same struggle. We are in the same ministry. And as we are walking with them, we need to be um, uh, encouraged, motivated, um, and, and doing the things that we can do in the place where we are. Uh, we don't have workplaces, many of us, anymore. But we can still be witnesses in, in our communities, in our church, especially the household of faith. We are that salt which is invisible in the food, but it gives it the world flavor. It gives the, uh, it keeps the, the preservation of the gospel in this world. And if we don't shine, who will? So um, I really appreciate the message that we've heard this morning to encourage us not to uh, give up hope or not to even give up because we can do nothing as we are not together in one place. Uh, fellowship has its purpose. Fellowship has its uh, uh, benefits uh, when we are together physically. We should not forsaking the, the, ourselves together, as Hebrews 10.25 says. But neither should we forsake ourselves, uh, the, the fellowship that we have and assembling of ourselves together online or on a telephone or whatever it may be, because we need to uphold each other, we need to strengthen each other, and we need to um, exhort one another to love and to good work, to provoke one another to love and good works. So uh, may the Lord bless the word that we've heard today. And as the word says, blessed are they not only that hear the word of God, but keep it evermore. Amen.